Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, please stay with me. The Flatline, the radio show always designed to remind you of biblical truths and introduce you to a different way of studying, an in-depth way of learning God's Word. It's all done with no manipulation, no solicitation, simply 30 minutes of education, some motivation, some inspiration. But my job is to verify and simply identify God's plan for you, and hopefully you will orient and adjust to that plan. The plan starts with the good news that Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. And thus our debt to God has been paid, and we're now free of the penalty of death and the power of sin in our life. So when you receive Christ as your Savior, you are in effect accepting the offering that he made on your behalf, free gift, compliments of the grace of God. That's why the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5, and 7 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's what the flat line is about, giving you the word of God, not preaching, not yelling, not jumping up and down, not begging you for money, not trying to sell you something, something giving you some information. Today we want to talk about a little three-letter word called S-I-N, sin. Sin is that three-letter word none of us like to talk about because in a world that many modern Americans don't believe in that word anymore, it's a word that a lot of modern Americans don't believe in. It's, it seems that everything that used to be evil has now become good. And all that stuff that used to be good is now becoming evil. And I think that's because arrogance has a way of doing that. Arrogance has a way of twisting and distorting and justifying actions to meet the emotional needs of each of us. So in God's eyes, let's get this straight. Sin is anything contrary to his character or even acting independently of him and his provisions. God's character is sovereignty and righteousness and justice. Uh, always surrounded in love. His motivation for us is always love. But his character cannot be compromised, and the justice of God is always the guardian of the righteousness of God. Thus, what the righteousness of God rejects, well, the justice of God has to judge. So the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all of us, me, you, everybody, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, I didn't catch God by surprise since he knew all about sin in eternity past. That's because he's omniscient. And his omniscient means he's all-knowing, all-knowing. And it allowed him to know every sin that would ever be committed by any member of the human race. That's why he's God. And uh, while that's true, that all sin is not the same. Let's get that straight. Does God know everything? Yes. Does God know every sin I would ever commit? Yes. Well, is all sin the same? And the answer to that is no, it is not the same. But 
Fortunately, the solution for sin is the same. And we'll get into different sins here in a minute, but the solution to any sin is the same. Every sin that was ever committed by any human being in eternity past or eternity future, as long as we've been here, it was all judged by God on the cross where the justice of God sacrificed his own son to satisfy the penalty of sin. Thus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accepted the imputation of our sins because he loved us. He tells us that in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the operative word, loved, and that's what I never had in my life as a young man growing up. I didn't think anybody loved me. I never knew my father, never met him, and still to this day don't know who he is or was. And I knew my mom loved me, but she had a hard time raising me. Not that I was a troublemaker, but I was just a teenage boy. And so I wanted somebody to love me. I never knew God loved me. And wherever you are right now, let me emphasize this to you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you are. God loves you. He gave his son for you. You should thank him for that because he alone loves you more than your wife, more than your husband, more than your children. I know you've never seen him, but he loves you. And this verse tells us that. And then listen to John three seventeen. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Christ came to deliver you from the penalty and the power of sin in your life. Now, the Bible talks about different types of sin. Let me identify this for you, okay? We have imputed sin, imputed sin. And this is the entire human race. The entire human race was counted guilty when Adam committed that first sin in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death has now passed upon all men, for all have sinned. When Adam sinned, he received a sinful nature. And every child that's born as a result of Adam has a sinful nature. That nobody set you down and taught you how to get mad. Nobody set you down and taught you how to be jealous. This is something inherent in your soul. Arrogance is an inherent attitude of the sin nature. And so you and I, we both have a sin nature. And thus the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. All die refers to spiritual death. We are born physically alive, but we are born spiritually dead. Thus the need to be born again. Not physically, we can't be born again physically, but the need to be born again spiritually. Our human spirit is dead, spiritually dead. When we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, the Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new species. All things are passed away and all things become new. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are born again spiritually. And that's when the journey begins for you and I. The imputed sin is still there. We are still related to Adam. 
And we also have inherent sin. We inherited the sin nature. So Adam's original sin was imputed to me. I also received Adam's sin nature. Psalm 51.5 tells me that. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So I have the inherent sin nature of Adam, and by having that sin nature, I'm able to commit personal sins. Some of them I'm aware of, some of those I know are sin, and some are unknown sins. So there's two categories here. Known sin, things you do that you know are sin, and unknown sins, things you do that you don't realize are sins. Sometimes if I'm listening to sports talk radio, and I enjoy listening to that, and keeping up with the football scores and things like this this time of year. There's an awful lot of slander. There's an awful lot of gossip. There's an awful lot of maligning and criticizing. These are all sins. And that's what Sports Talk Radio Show is all about. You ought to hear the people call in and criticize the coaches. Malign the coaches. Run the coaches down. Criticize the players. Run them down. And the radio host feeds that emotion. And this sometimes is an unknown sin. Maybe people don't realize they're sinning when they slander or judge or malign another person. So the greatest sin ever known to man, what is that one? The greatest sin ever known to man is to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you're listening to me today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are already condemned. You don't have to wait until you die to receive condemnation. You are living condemned. And if you do pass away, unfortunately, you will wake up in hell. That's just the way that it is, because the justice of God cannot allow you into the presence of God because you haven't been redeemed. You haven't, you, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Thus, you would force the justice of God to condemn you. That's not his plan. That's not what he wants to do. That's why he sent his son for you, so you wouldn't have to go through that. That's why Christ died on a cross that's why he who knew no sin was made sin for us. So you do not ever have to experience hell or the lake of fire. So how are we going to defeat sin in our lives? Back up just a minute before we go any further. Let me repeat this point. The greatest sin known to man is rejection of Christ as Savior. John 3.18 I wasn't sure I gave you that verse, but let me make sure I do. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Have you ever personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever personally told God the Father that you are believing in Jesus Christ and you were willing to accept him as your Savior? That's a point of volitional decision you must make. At some time in your life, you and God must settle this. Is he your savior? Have you accepted him? You don't have to join a church to do it. You don't have to jump in the river to do it. You just have to pray. The Bible said, whosoever 
should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in the privacy of your car, in the privacy of your home, you can accept Christ as your Savior. You can deal with God yourself, and you can ask him to save you, and he will. He's not a liar. He'll do that. Now, if we are faced with sin as a Christian, how do we defeat sin in our life? If you're not a Christian, this is not even of interest to you. If you're not a Christian, you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you're already condemned regardless of what you do. You could live the nicest lifestyle in the world. You could be the sweetest, purest, most wonderful person, never cheat on your wife, never cheat on your taxes, never run a red light, never break the speed limit, and still die and go to hell because you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. You see, deliverance is not based on what you do or don't do. Deliverance is based on what Christ did for you and whether you believe or don't believe that, whether you accept that or don't accept that. So if you if you have accepted that and you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then how are you supposed to defeat this sin that comes into your life? Colossians 3, 5 through 10 tells us this. Therefore, begin to put to death the members of your earthly body. And then we have a list of sins. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also, this is the Christian, you put these things aside, put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. And do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Put on the new self. The new self is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of one who created him. That's you living in the image of Christ. That's you becoming Christ-like. Now, when the Bible tells you to put to death, that's a volitional decision on your part. Again, Colossians 3, 5, put to death the members of your earthly body. That doesn't mean kill yourself. That's, that's not what it means. This is imagery here. This is saying you must, you must put to death the lust of the flesh. In other words, don't let it continue to live in you. Ephesians 4.22 tells us the same thing. Put off, put you off concerning the former manner of life, that old man. That old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So how exactly am I supposed to do this? How am I to put to death my flesh that creates these sins in my life, even when I don't want to do them sometimes? How am I supposed to control them? How am I supposed to put off this old man which is corrupt I mean, how do I get rid of him? Well, you will never get rid of him. As long as you're here, you'll always have a sinful nature. You'll always have the ability to commit sin in your life. But you can control it. And how do you do it? Well, number one, when you know that you've sinned, then you use rebound very quickly. And rebound is problem-solving device number one in the flat line of your soul. Remember, the flat line is made up of 10 unique problem-solving devices given by God in his word to sustain you while you're in the devil's world. And the very first one is the problem of sin. 
How do I handle sin in my life? 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we will confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. Anytime you or I, if we commit a sin, we must go to the Father and admit the sin. Before I started doing this radio show today, I had silent prayer and I said, Father, if there's any sin in my life right now, show me because I don't want to I don't want to get on the radio and teach a class with known sin in my life. I always ask God to examine me, to show me my heart. Let me see myself. If there's sin in your life, and we'll deal with the different types of sin, you must confess it. Not to the priest, but to God, because you are a priest. You are a believer priest. The Bible says that. You don't need to go to someone else. You can go right to the throne room of God yourself, and you can admit your sin to God. Now, does that guarantee you won't do it again? No. What it does is it gets you back in fellowship with God. See, when you sin, your momentum in your spiritual life is halted. You're not advancing. You've quenched the Holy Spirit. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. And you've stepped out of the spiritual life and you've allowed the flesh to take over. But when you go to the Father and confess your sin, then you recover your momentum, you get back under the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit, and then you can continue. And you know, sometimes, to be honest, you may have to confess your sin 10 or 15 times a day. Depends on the kind of day you're having. But the objective is to grow to where you don't have to keep confessing sin, to recognize it, know how to avoid it, and quit doing it. So the first way that we get victory over the old man The first way we get victory over the flesh is to rebound or confess our sin when we know we've done it. If we rebound, it says he is faithful. He does this every time. He's just. He doesn't compromise his righteousness to do this. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second step, if you're going to defeat the old man, if you're going to keep him in check and under control, is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as per 2 Peter 3.18, so that you're not controlled by arrogance or preoccupation with yourself. You have to know yourself. The arrogant person doesn't see himself as he really is. He sees himself as he thinks he is. And the Word of God is a mirror. It'll show you what you really are. So if you can grow in grace and knowledge, it means you submit to the authority of a pastor, you listen to God's word taught to you on a consistent basis, and you apply what you learn into your life. And then the third step is to submit to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is Ephesians 5.18, which actually takes place as soon as you rebound. As soon as you rebound, as soon as you confess your sin to God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot live as a believer in the devil's world in the energy of the flesh. Can't do it. You won't ever succeed. You must live under the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is the the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ gave you. He said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send a coach. A paraclete is the Greek word. The comforter. I'm going to send him to you. And he will be in you and guide you and lead you into all truth. And if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to control your life, 
then you're never going to be able to get victory over the flesh. That doesn't even count the world and the devil because there are three enemies. And the sin that I'm talking about right now would be the sin of the flesh. There are three areas of sin in your life you have to deal with. They include mental attitude sins. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. Mental attitude sins. These are sins you can do seated in your chair, not even opening your mouth or driving down the road and not even honking the horn. Hatred, mental attitude sins of hatred. Uh, Arrogance is a mental attitude sin. Fear is a mental attitude sin. Worry is a mental attitude sin. These sins quench the Holy Spirit. They grieve the Holy Spirit. So you have to be aware that when you sin, it's not just necessarily overt sins. You can sin in your mind and never open your mouth. Another type of sin is called the sin of the tongue. And this is when you slander or malign or gossip or criticize or backbite or vilify someone. Ephesians 4, 30 through 31 tells you you can't do that. It says you have to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ forgave you. So you can commit a mental attitude sin, something you think. You can commit a sin of the tongue, something you say. Or you can commit overt sins by something that you do. It could be a sexually overt sin, such as Romans 1, 26 and 27. You can read that for yourself. You can see what God mentions there concerning certain sexual sins. Or you can read Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. And again, you can see what God says about certain sexual sins. Overt sins are not just sexual sins. It could be stealing. It could be murder. It could be some sort of overt action where you injure someone or take someone's property. It could be a lot of different things. But these are sins also. Mental attitude sins, sins of the tongue, overt sins. And some people even say they're sins of omission where maybe you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it. Sometimes you get behind God or sometimes you get ahead of God because you're impetuous. But let's leave it with these three, what you think, what you say, what you do. You see, the more you know about sin, well, the closer accounts you can keep with God. I mean, I would hate to know that I went through the day and I sinned at 8 o'clock that morning and I didn't even realize I sinned, and at 9 o'clock that night, I, it wakes up, I wake up and dawns on me that I committed a sin at 8 a.m. this morning. Thus, I have been out of fellowship with God all day. I know it's impossible to name every sin you do. That's why the Bible says if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's even the ones you don't remember. So if you get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and you get mad at your kids or you get mad at your wife or you get mad at your husband or you get mad at your boss and you start, you might not say it, but you start thinking some mean, nasty thoughts. And what you would like to do to that person, to kick that person, you know where, well, then you better go to God and admit it to God. And he will be faithful and just to forgive you. He'll even forgive you of some things you forget, because you do forget. I mean, once you start sinning, you start chain sinning. 
It's worse than chain smoking. You start chain sinning, and you'll sin one right after another. So the more you know about sin, the closer account you can keep with God concerning your sins. Now let me say that temptation's not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. And uh, the source of all sin is your human arrogance. That's where we use our volition to go negative to God and do what we want to do. We reject God's word, we reject his will, and we say, I got a better way to do it, God, see you later. That's where all human arrogance starts, and that's the source of sin. And that was Satan's source of his sin in heaven. When he assumed that he was as good as God and he wanted to rule the heavens, take over God's throne. Now, there's no such thing as sinless perfection. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I've met a couple of people that thought they were sin, they didn't commit sin, and I made them mad enough to where they were sinning before we got through with the conversation. So until you know what sin actually is for sure, then you don't even know whether or not you're really in fellowship, right? So what about discipline for sin? Well, the Bible says in Colossians 3.25, he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he's done, and there is no respecter of persons. In Hosea 8, 7, for they have sown to the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. And that's him talking about national discipline on the northern kingdom of Israel for rejecting God's plan for the nation. The process of discipline is seen in Hebrews 12, 6 through uh, 11. Those whom God loves, he chastens. He often scourges us every son that he receives. And if we endure chastening, God deals with us as with a son but if you're without chastisement, where everyone has, where you're not really a child, you're not really his son. And then it goes on to talk about we've had fathers of our flesh that corrected them, and we gave, corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not, not much more respect God and live? Proverbs 15.10 says, Correction is grievous to the one that forsakes the way, and he that hates the reproof of God shall die. You can check yourself out too early. By not listening to God's discipline, not rebounding, getting under discipline continuously until you go out under the sin unto death. It's called warning discipline, intense discipline, dying discipline. I don't know where you are in the process, but you might ought to look at yourself. You might ought to ask God where you stand in regards to this, and you might want to take a real close look at your life. Until next week. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.